I like to achieve. I like to accomplish. I like to rack up my successes. I like to, you know, go out and do things. Um, and so for me to just completely disconnect from that, to get off the treadmill and just sit in my apartment and meditate. And it, it, what it really was is I, I had to change my, my metric of success from the external to internal. And that can be a very challenging process for people who are high performers, right? Who, are, who like to achieve. Who, who like the external validation of, oh, wow, you, which, which TV show are you on now, Michelle? Wh what are you doing now? Which play are you doing now, Michelle? Right, all of that. <laughs> That's cool, right? Um, but then to just completely disconnect from that and go, oh, wait a minute. Now what do I measure my success by? And that's Michelle Johnson joining me today on this episode of Time to Sing Your Song. You are in for a good one. Michelle is like so many of us. From the outsider's perspective, she was living an incredible life. Michelle was an actress on some of the most well-known TV shows of our time, balancing it with a typical corporate job. But she wasn't happy. The work had lost its meaning, and the dream was no longer hers. Not knowing exactly what she wanted to do, she did what so many of us are scared to do. She took the leap. She needed to explore who she was, and what she really wanted to do. In this wide-ranging conversation, Michelle shares her journey of reinvention and advice on what others can do if they are looking to pivot in their life. We dive into the importance of getting at the root cause of what is holding you back, the need to disconnect from your old identity, the importance of going inside to measure your success, letting go of the notion Life has to look a certain way. Why action is so important at getting feedback into who you are. Her take on failure and why reinvention is an iterative process. And finally, how she is now singing her song, helping people show up authentically with confidence and purpose. If you are enjoying these conversations, go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give Time to Sing Your Song a five-star rating. Please. Also, share your thoughts as well. It really helps in bringing awareness to these awesome stories. Please also share the podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues. As I go deeper on this journey, it is becoming clearer by the day that Time to Sing Your Song is a platform for ordinary people to share their stories of how they overcame gnarly obstacles to live a life that they only dreamed about. And what's crazy is the variety of the stories that are coming at me but I am in the need of new stories. So if you have one or you know somebody who does, reach out to me. Easiest way is to send me an email at mike at timetosingyoursong.com or you can send a direct message on social media, Mike Kearney on LinkedIn and mkearney33 on Twitter. Okay, let's get to it. Michelle, welcome to Time to Sing Your Song. Thank you, Mike. I'm really looking forward to this time with you. I was just thinking about the title, Time to Sing Your Song, and I love singing. I love that you equate, you know, blooming and blossoming and being authentic with singing, because that is like my jam. I love that. It took me so damn long to come up with a name for the podcast, so I appreciate that you like it. Yes, I love it. <laughs> so, Michelle, you were an accomplished actor 
for over two decades. You guest starred in some of the best shows, like ones like Friends, CSI, NCIS, Bones, Castle. Like my mother-in-law would be very proud that I'm talking to you, but then my favorite modern family. And then one day, Michelle, you're like, this isn't what I want to do. And I'm curious because this sounds like the dream life for most people, but you decided you wanted to pivot. So what's the story? The story is I had reached a point in my life where I was, as you say, I was, I was a professional actress. I was also a corporate manager in one of the largest insurance brokerages in the world at the time. So I was, I had a corporate day job. I would go on auditions during my lunch break, go back to my day job, being a manager, clock out, drive to the theater, do plays at night, and then wake up and do it all over again. And I got to a place in my life in about, it was about 2006, 2007, where I was like, you know what, I'm doing all this work. And from the world's perspective, I am successful. I'm, I'm, I'm living the dream, right? Mm, I'm, yep. I'm doing the corporate thing. I'm doing the acting thing. And yet I'm not happy. And so I decided that I really needed to explore what that was all about. I'd gotten to a place with the acting where I was like, I'm, I'm doing this, but I don't know why I'm doing it anymore. Am I doing this because it's what I love to do? Am I doing it because this is what I've been doing for 15 years? Like I, I had lost the meaning in it. And when I say I was unhappy, I was in a place in my life where I had gone through a really bad breakup a couple of years before. And I, it just was one of those, I don't know if you've, you've had one of these breakups, Mike, where it just, for whatever reason, it just, it just, just grabbed your heart out of your chest <laughs> and just stomped on it. And just, you're just like, <laughs> Oh my God. It, I, it just, it just rocked me. Um, and as I looked at my corporate career, you know, the corporate side of things, and I looked forward, you know, kind of projected myself into the future. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if that's what I want for myself. And I, I was just at a crossroads. I was at a crossroads. And so, um, I decided to quit my day job. I decided to quit acting and I knew that I needed to spend some time exploring who I was because I really didn't know who I was. That was really what it was. I was like, who am I? <laughs> because act, acting can be a very lonely experience, you know, and, and there's, it, it requires a lot of focus. And, um, and so I just had this feeling that there was more to me than acting. What I find interesting about your story, though, is if I hear you correctly, you're doing this job where you're essentially working in an insurance company, which I love the juxtaposition between <laughs> acting and an insurance company. So that's interesting. But, but you didn't, it doesn't sound like you didn't know what you wanted to do, but you knew that you didn't want to do those two things. Yes. I, 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 I had no idea. It was just a big blank. You know, I, I, I don't know if you've had this kind of, well, you know, maybe you have, I know recently yep. you get to a place in your life where you're like, okay, I've done this thing and I've been right. doing this thing 
but it, it doesn't have any juice for me anymore. Um, so what's next? What's next? What's and next? I, I think that feeling combined with the fact that I, I knew because of my childhood, and I'm sure we're going to dig into this, I knew because of my childhood and my relationship with my family and all the things that I, I had been wrestling with there that I had to, I had to make a change. Because I knew if I didn't deal with the things, I didn't deal with the demons, if I didn't deal with the stuff that was underneath the rocks and the, you know, hiding in the, in the attic, I could, I, I had an example of where that could lead me mm. in, in my mother. I knew, I knew what that path was and I didn't want that for myself. And so for me, it was like, okay, I know what that looks like. Um, I don't know what the other path looks like, but I'm willing to take the risk. Yeah, I oftentimes find that bad role models are the best role models for me because I look at them and I say, okay, I absolutely don't want to do that. So I'm going to do 180 degrees and go the opposite path. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that opposite path has yet to be determined, right? It has, right. Y- you don't know what that's going to look like. It, it really is the road less traveled. And so <laughs> it takes a lot of, um, I think it takes a lot of courage. And of course, I thought that it was going to be, I'm just going to take a little small detour. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to try this whole, you know, sitting, like a sabbatical. I was just going to take a short sabbatical and figure some things out and then I'll be right back, you know, doing things. And that is not what happened. Right. Right. Well, we're going to talk about that, but I'm curious. We're also going to talk about this idea of confidence, but what gave you the confidence to make that decision? And I ask you because I created this podcast so that I could hear pragmatic advice from people as to what they did, because and you know this as well as I do, there's a lot of people out there that are just miserable in life, whether it's a relationship, whether it's their job, and they know they need to pivot and do something else, but they're they're fearful. Mm-hmm. So what gave you the confidence to quit what, once again, is seemingly a dream job and then also a steady job with your insurance company? What gave you the confidence that you could get to the other end and be happy or fulfilled or whatever metric you were using to measure your success? Yeah, that's a big question, Mike. Um, that's going to take us the whole podcast to to answer. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the short answer is I wasn't even looking that far ahead. Mm. I, I think, and, and maybe this is something for folks to think about, is if you're thinking like, is this going to work out? It, it, you know, where is this going to lead me from five years from now? You will overwhelm yourself. The, it, make, a, make a decision about your, you know, immediate future, looking a year from now. I mean, that was really my time horizon was a year. I'm going to give myself a year. And that, because it was a, you know, very kind of defined time period, I could do a year. I could, I could do a sabbatical for a year. That's not, so I saved up money. I didn't have kids. I didn't have, you know, real, you know, expenses. So I saved up enough money so that I could take a year off and do my self-exploration. Now, as I said, it took a lot longer than that. But but I think for people who are trying to, you know, figure out what is my next step and, you know, how do I go about doing it? Just give yourself a little bit of a time cushion. I'm going to give myself a month or I'm going to give myself three months or I'm going to give myself six months, whatever you feel comfortable doing 
um, I think that 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 is a good first step for you. That doesn't feel overwhelming for you to pivot. I listened to a lot of podcasts and I heard this concept of recoverable and non-recoverable decisions, which I think is fascinating because I would argue in your situation, it was a very recoverable decision. If you wanted a year later to go back into acting, if you wanted to follow your dream and go into another insurance company, you very easily could have. Does that resonate with you? It does. It does. Although I'm one of those people that's like, when I'm done with something, Mm. I am done. (laughs) When I have made the decision to do something, I'm like on to the next. And so for me, there was no going back. Now, because my time, my sabbatical, I call it my big time out, because that extended beyond the year to actually five years, um, I found myself in a position of having to make some kind of an income. And so I did little, you know, if little acting jobs would come up, you know, I would do those, but I certainly was not, no, I was no longer in the mindset of, oh, my path is to be an actor. I really mm. had shifted my identity. Um, and that's a big, that's a big one as well um, for folks who are looking to pivot. You really have to look at your, how are you identifying what is your self-concept? Because I think so often, um, especially here, you know, in the States, in the Western world, we identify with our jobs, right? A, a big part of our self-esteem, of our self-worth, of our identity all is wrapped up in what we do. And Absolutely. that the disconnect, you've got to disconnect your identity and your self-concept from your job. And so that was a big part of my process as well was, okay, um, I'm not, I'm no longer an actor. So therefore, who am I? That was really the exploration. And there was a lot of discomfort in that because I'd put a lot of investment and time and energy and into being an actor. And I was successful doing that. Um, And so, but you've got to get comfortable, get comfortable being uncomfortable (laughs) and that it's just a part of the process. Part of the process. I was talking to a uh, a man that is about to retire. I'm not going to say who he is or what company he works for, but earlier this week, and he was talking about one of his colleagues and the experience that they had. It's probably about 58, 60 when they had to leave the organization that they were working for, and the challenges that they had because everything that they had done for the last several decades was wrapped up into the role and the persona that they had created. And even though they were going to do some work after, they were struggling with the fact that now they were not going to be the man known for the thing that they did. And so I I think that's so important to go through that process before maybe you made the pivot around what you're going to do. And I will say, I had been thinking about, you know, my departure from Deloitte for many years. And so I had put the hard work in and it still was difficult. Mm-hmm. Because no longer was I, you know, this partner that was running marketing and doing these cool things. I'm just like an ordinary guy. And so I can imagine that process for you is a challenge. Yeah. You were an ordinary guy, but you still carry that experience, right? Even though you're no longer in that environment, you still have the skills, you still have the experience, right? And so it's, you know, it's about, at least for me, I had to, and because I'm a high performer, don't get me wrong. Like I'm, I'm type A, Mike. I like yep. to achieve. I like to accomplish. I like to rack up my successes. I like to, you know, go out and do things. Um, 
And so for me to just completely disconnect from that, to get off the treadmill and just sit in my apartment and meditate. And it, it, what it really was is I, I had to change my, my metric of success from external to internal. And that can be a very challenging process for people who are high performers, right? Who, are, who like to achieve, who, who like the external validation of, oh, wow, you, which, which TV show are you on now, Michelle? Wh- what are you doing now? Which play are you doing now, Michelle? Right, all of that. <laughs> That's cool, right? Um, but then to just completely disconnect from that and go, oh, wait a minute. Now what do I measure my success by? What do I measure my growth by? If it's not the TV show that I'm doing this week or the play that I'm doing this week, then how am I measuring my progress. And, and for me, it had to, it it became, I'm measuring my progress by what I'm learning about myself. I'm measuring my progress by, you know, the, the, the internal work that I was doing, changing my beliefs, looking at certain painful memories. Oh, you know what? That memory isn't as painful as it was yesterday. I, I really had to shift how I was measuring my progress with internal locators rather than external locators. And, and that's, there's no way around that. Can you talk about the process that you went through? And, and I recognize it may have been kind of organic in the moment. You said it took a five-year period of time, but I, I understand this notion of you know, measuring the impact that you're making in the world based on external factors. But it, what it sounded like is you went deep and you did the hard work and you changed them to these internal indicators, which sounds great, but we still have this need, I think, externally to be validated. So how did you go through that process? Like, once again, if somebody's listening and they're thinking about changing where, you know, they are validated by the external world, they recognize they're going to be doing things that that's not going to be there any longer. What, what would you say that they could do? What would be a couple steps or some things that may have worked for you? <laughs> well... This need for external validation, there's nothing wrong with it, right? It feels Mm -hmm. good. We like to be a part of the tribe. We'd like to be recognized and respected and right for for who and acknowledged for who we are, what we do, all of those things, how we contribute. But I must say, you know, I'm an executive coach now and I work with a lot of professionals. I see that there is an imbalance between their ability to validate themselves and their need to get external validation. And it can be detrimental. In other words, the process is to become better at validating yourself. Mm. And the only way to do that is to really disconnect from the external validation. <laughs> now, you could still be getting that, but, but again, weighting it differently. So that you're not waiting the external validation more than you're waiting your internal validation. Do I like myself? Am I satisfied with myself? How do I think and feel about myself? And, and praising yourself and patting yourself on the back and saying, no, you're doing a good job, Michelle. Like becoming your own cheerleader is, is so incredibly powerful because the external validation is going to come and go. Right. And I've seen people in professional environments chase that carrot 
right? I need the praise. I need my boss to, to you know, acknowledge what I'm doing. I, I, I want to I get that pat on the back. And when it doesn't come, they don't know what to do with it. And their confidence gets shaken and their, right? And their self-esteem takes knock because their, their thoughts and feelings and beliefs about themselves is dependent on what other people think and feel and believe about them. And that's, now you're getting into codependence and now you're getting, right? So, right. so the process is really, hmm, how do I validate myself? And it's really about examining and reflecting your own thoughts and beliefs about yourself. Because that's really, I mean, developing and cultivating the relationship with yourself is the, should be everyone's number one priority <laughs> in life. Because you come into the world by yourself and you go out by yourself, right? <laughs> Yeah. Become your own best friend, become your own best cheerleader and praise again. When, when you, you, you start to shift your focus from, from your external experience to your internal landscape. And then as you're moving through that process of, of growth and discovery, you praise yourself along the way. Mm. Can I give you an example, I think, of what you're saying, or at least certainly an example of what I'm doing that is really tactical, but I kind of feel what you're saying now. So I'm probably in my head more than most people. I'm always thinking about the type of person I want to be. I'm always examining kind of my values and beliefs. I'm open to changing them. But there's that. And then there's what are the things that I do on a daily basis to live in unison with those values and beliefs and how I want to show up in the world. And so one of the things I was finding is that there were a lot of things that when I would go deep, I wasn't doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And so as silly as this sounds, I created a Google doc and I literally put down all of the things that I wanted to do that made me feel fulfilled that were validating to me. And it was everything like, you know, walking my dog, meditating, um, reading or listening to content that grows my, my mind, um, working out, uh, calling somebody that I haven't spoken to. Anyways, I think you get the picture. And I think I'm up to like 15 or 16 of these things. I just added one the other day, eat my vitamin or take my vitamins every day. It runs the gamut of like, you know, very impactful stuff to my life just to habits I want to grow every day. And what's interesting, Michelle, is as I've gone through that process, I think I'm a month in and I'm, I'm, I'm really good at sticking true to it. I feel so validated because I'm like, these mm. are the things that are important to me. And once again, they're tactical, but they ultimately ladder up to that hard work that I did around getting clear on who I was and what my values and beliefs are. But it was a, it was a pragmatic tactical way that I could measure whether or not, or maybe a better way of saying it, that I could validate myself mm -hmm. every single day. Mm -hmm. Is yeah. that, is that an example of what you're talking about? That could be an example. I don't think that there's any right or wrong here. Um, you know, you're filling your life up. You're filling your day up with things that are important to you. And that's the thing. That's the important thing. doesn't right. matter if it works for anybody else. Right. Does it work for you? What lights you up? 
right? What makes you fulfilled and excited about life? And right, and and catalog if that's your jam, sounds like it is. You're type A. <laughs> I am, unfortunately, yes. Just, just a little bit. You got a spreadsheet for uh, things that bring you joy. That's awesome, <laughs> right? <laughs> It, it, it just, just to defend myself though, it really is just making sure I do those things because I am su- I'm such a victim of like, oh, look at all these great things that I could do that would, you know, allow me to self-actualize. And then I, I'm like, well, why am I not doing them? You know, yes. I'm probably lazy like everybody else, you know? Yes. Yes. But I will say this, Mike. So, you know, you and I are getting to know each other a little bit better. I am somebody that believes in, in paradox, Mm. I do not believe in rules. I believe in principles. And I believe that the opposite, two opposite things can be true at the same time and can coexist in the same space. So I believe that while, as I'm listening to you describe what you're doing, you know, and holding yourself accountable and having the spreadsheet with the things, that's all fantastic. On the other side of that, which was a big part of my process, was also just allowing myself to have unstructured time. Just unstructured time. I'm, 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 when I wake up in the morning, I'm, I don't have a plan. Mm. My plan may just be, you know what, I'm going to go hiking and we'll see what the day brings me. We'll see, right, finding yourself, because I think that structure can sometimes be, an, be externally imposed when really to find your authentic self, you need to break out of the confines. Interesting. The time confines, the structural confines, the whatever, right? And just have unstructured time to allow your your mind body system to just decompress and start to feed you, create a biofeedback loop of okay, okay, now what do I want to do? What do you feel like doing now? You know what? Actually, I just want to sit and daydream. Okay, well, let's just sit and daydream. All right, now I'm hungry, so let's go get some food. Like literally just allowing your your body, your mind, your thoughts, your feelings to guide you throughout the day, it sets a different rhythm. It really does. You're scaring the shit out of everybody that's like... (laughs) Well, I want to transition because I had a really good friend, a very, very successful business person. He's a a CEO of a company now, and he was transitioning jobs. And I remember calling him going, so what are you doing? I mean, he had plenty of money, so he didn't need to jump back onto the next job. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm looking for my next job. I'm talking to headhunters. So he wasn't giving him that space. And that's the way a lot of people are wired. So I guess... I go back to like, you have this five-year period of time. (laughs) How do you create, like, honestly, how do you manage that idea? Which I totally agree with, because quite frankly, you're not going to come up with the stuff that really fulfills you, that aligns. And also the best ideas that I have is when I am in kind of that alone time where I'm not encumbered by all the crap that's going on in my life and ideas pop in my head. So I totally am in line. But that's scary when you're like, oh, I got to find something else to do. How do you cultivate kind of that time where you're free with the notion of, oh my God, you know, society, family, whomever is pushing me to do the next thing? And I'm moving. Yeah. And I also need to move forward at the same time. Right, right. Yeah. You know, it's um, it, it's a balance and 
it's finding time. So, you know, I know people say work-life balance, but you know, the truth of that is that some, some weeks are going to be extremely busy, but then can you find a week where you're not as busy? Maybe you're, you're busy throughout the morning, but can you find time in the afternoon to have some unstructured time? So for me, that, that is what balance looks like for me now. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's finding a finding my own rhythm and my own timing throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, instead of, you know, like, oh, well, I've got to just work really hard throughout the week. And then I only have weekends. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's one version of what work-life balance can look like, but maybe there are several versions of what that looks like. And again, you know, living an authentic life. And it sounds like this is where our, our conversation is actually pointing. How do you, basically, how do you cultivate and build an authentic life? That's really the conversation that we're having. And, Absolutely. right. And, and so it really is, you know, part of that is letting go of the notion of, you know, that life has to look a certain way because that's what you read or that's what your parents did or that's what your friends are telling you or that's what this expert in this book said. It's finding what works for you. And again, the only way to really do that is to spend time with yourself, to spend unstructured time with yourself, to allow your subconscious, your feelings, your thoughts to start to bubble up and surface and then you can start to engage with, oh, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is what works for me. This is what I need to, oh, what's that? Oh, that's a fear. That's a, right? So while I understand that people have bills to pay and they've got responsibilities and they've got, right, all of those things, a big part of cultivating an authentic life is also looking at what keeps you inauthentic. And what keeps us inauthentic is a lot of things, right? It's, it's chasing after external validation. It's having a life framework that isn't really yours. You, you just adopted, you know, somebody else's. It could be your parents. It could be your spouse. It could be your friends. It could be society. It could be all the doubts and fears and insecurities that you have. You know, that's a big one. Doubt, fear, and insecurity. I spent a lot of my time diving into the pool of doubt, fear, and insecurity because that's really what keeps us inauthentic. Um, and so that can be really scary. That can be because we spend, I, my theory <laughs> is that we spend so much time being busy because we don't want to face our doubts, fears, and insecurities. Because that stuff is painful. It's painful, right? It, it comes from a painful place. But that's really also where the gold is. That's where you are, right? I'm not the first one to say this. this is what Carl Jung was all about, right? Mm -hmm. you, you, it's the shadow work. It's doing all that stuff. But it really is true. The more you allow for the doubts, fears, and insecurities to speak to you, the more you kind of create a relationship with that stuff, you work through it and then you're like, oh, wow, I really, I have compassion for myself. I understand why I feel that way, why I had that doubt, why I had that fear, why I had that insecurity. So what, what is underneath that is you. 
what's underneath the doubt, fear, mm. insecurity is the authentic self. And the authentic self is where you want to start to penetrate. Because from there, once you start getting into your authentic core, now you want to build a life that's in resonance. And that is a result of that. You, uh, you made me think of the fact that when you're going through this process, my hypothesis or the way that I position this is all around, okay, you leave, you have no job, you're scared of shit because the bills are coming in. But I would argue you can create that unstructured time, even if you have a job. And I think part of the challenge nowadays is, and you said it, everybody likes to be so damn busy. And I would argue a lot of times that busyness is more an optic and you're actually not doing anything that's impactful during a lot of that time when you're busy. And so one of the things that I'm taking away is how do you create that structured or excuse me, unstructured time, even when you're extremely busy. And I would argue if you were to say, I'm just using an example of, of when ideas come to me, that's unstructured. If I were just to leave my phone at home and go on a walk with my dog, the best ideas always come or where I go deep on the things that are challenging me in life, which would be your, your doubt, fears, and insecurities. And there's a lot of them. And it just gives me kind of free time to think about that and process it. Um, and then hopefully come to something that's going to improve my life. But, but my, I guess my point, Michelle, that I'm trying to make is this is not like burn the bridge, quit your job, and then, you know, find five years where you could think about this stuff. For a lot of people, it could be just go look at your damn calendar and start to create some unstructured time so that you can start thinking about what's important in life and so that you can start figuring out how you could be more authentic. Absolutely. Yes. Start with where you are. Um, I'm one of those extreme people. Again, when I make a decision, I go for it, right? I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to quit acting and I'm going to sit in my apartment. I'm going <laughs> to meditate and find myself, right? That's what I did. But you don't have to do that. Yes. Start with where you are. Create some space in your calendar to have that unstructured time. Create some space to, you know, journal and really kind of dive into some of those fears and doubts and insecurities that you've been running from. Um, go to therapy, do, you know, do, do whatever you need to do. It's really about self-awareness. That's what uh, the basis of authenticity yeah. is. Yeah. It's about self-awareness. Who am I? <laughs> not, not who do I, you know, who do people want me to be, Right. but who am I really beneath the doubts, fears, insecurities, examining your beliefs. Why do I believe that? Right. Where did that come from? I'll give you an example. Um, you know, when I started dating, um, I had this belief that I, that, that men and, and, and sorry, men, I love you all, but I had this belief that men were dangerous. Mm. Men were not safe. They only wanted one thing from you. You can't trust them, right? I had all of these like negative beliefs. And I was going hiking one day, my unstructured time, and I was thinking about this and I was like, wait a minute, does this match my actual experience? And as I looked at my relationships with men, now they all didn't work out and I had some negative experiences, but actually my, my personal experience with that was that 
the men in my life had actually been the nurturers. Hmm. My, my boyfriends, the boyfriends that I attracted into my life had been very nurturing. And so I, I was like, okay, well, when, why do I believe this then? Oh, I got it from my mom. Cause this is what she believed about men. Cause this is what her experience was about men. And, and she kind of, you know, programmed us and conditioned us to believe that this is what we should believe about men when it didn't match my personal experience. That's how, how much of a disconnect there can be between our beliefs and our experience. Right. But it's doing that kind of work, examining your beliefs around money, around your career, around work, around relationships, around yourself, really spending time going, what, what do I believe? And, and matching that to your experience. And then the other thing is asking the question, what do I want? And that can be a really scary experience, uh, a question for people to ask themselves. Again, I'm an executive coach. I work with a lot of different people, very successful people. And I will often ask them, well, what do you want? I don't really know. They can't answer it. They just get this blank look on their face. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I don't know. Or if they start to express what they want, they'll immediately start to, well, yeah, but I can't do that. Oh, but that'll never work. And that, and then they immediately start talking themselves out of what they want. And I feel that your desires, your heart's desires is a, is a very important expression of your authentic self. Because your heart's desire, right? Your heart's desires, and it's speaking to you all the time. I really want to do this. I really like you. I, I really want to work, you know, I really want to do a podcast. I really want to do this. I really want to be a singer. I really, it's speaking to you all the time, but we talk ourselves out of it. And so I found, yes, spending some time with the doubts, fears, and insecurities, that's a big part, but also spending some time really visioning and imagining and allowing your imagination to just go, you know, what do I want? What kind of life do I want? I spend so much time doing that. And I know that vision boards and things like that are, you know, they're not new, but it, it really is an, an important step in cultivating an authentic life is, is really allowing yourself and honoring the answer that comes up when you ask yourself, what do I, what do I want? What do I want? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I oftentimes think about, because I, I do think a lot about what do I want? I also think that acting on those wants are important and then thinking about the information that you're getting back. And I could even just use myself as an experience. There's a lot of things after I left Deloitte that I thought I wanted, right? Because I put a lot of deep thought into it and I started to do it. And I said, well, I kind of like that. But you know what? Now that I'm doing it, I'm actually getting other information and I want to pivot a little. And so I guess the question that I have for you, or not I guess, the question I have for you is, is a comment that you had made where you said you can't fast track the process of reinvention. And one of the things I oftentimes see is that people are held back because they, they sometimes overthink the situation and they don't act. And so how do you balance this whole notion of kind of going deep on your thoughts and beliefs um, and going through the process you talked about with the need to act? That's such a great question. Action is how you get feedback on the self that you are becoming. Mm. Right? So you do the work. So so here's here's the process that I that I have have created for myself when I'm trying to create something. 
first of all, what do I want? Really starting there. It seems so obvious. And yet I see so many people (laughs) not do it, right? Right. What do I want? Then once I really have a a good idea of what I want, whether it's, you know, a vision board or I, I, I do these mind maps Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where I just get a blank piece of paper and, you know, here's the thing that I want and let me just really, you know, spend time exploring what that looks like. Right. So I have a very clear picture in my mind of what it is that I want. Then the next part of the process, step number two, all the doubts, fears, and insecurities are going to bubble up. Yep. It's, it's just a part of the process. You can't have that. Who do you think you are? That's impossible. That will never work. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough time. Like that, right? And then, so all of that starts to bubble up. And then the work is, all right, now I have to start to look underneath the rocks and go, okay, why do I have this belief? What's going on here? Why do I have this insecurity? Let me let me work through and process that stuff. And then you just keep affirming and validating the thing that you want. You put energy into it. You meditate on it. You keep visualizing it, and you take action. Yeah, you said something earlier that I I love, and I don't think I do enough of it. So I appreciate you sharing it. And that is, you know, these core beliefs that you have, and then kind of butting it up against your experiences. And then oftentimes you find that your experiences are incongruent with those those beliefs, which is a great way to change them. Because for whatever reason, there's a lot of beliefs that we ultimately capture over time. You said it was from your family, your mother. I mean, I certainly have it from my family um, and even things that I've heard from others. But the second you start to say, you know what, let me look for uh, data or other examples of where people were talking about, you know, maybe pivoting in their career. You know, there's a lot of experiences that you could draw upon, positive ones that have said, oh, that person like you was able to pivot from acting to doing that thing that she really wanted. Ah, that's a different experience that maybe is not something that I have seen or believe, so it potentially could change my beliefs. And so one of the things that I've oftentimes done um, when I don't have the experiences to match up to my beliefs, I oftentimes go out and look for other people to find positive experiences that match the belief that I want to have. Absolutely. Yes. You know, find teachers, find people who have experienced what it is that you're experiencing. Like we, we have to, I think a part of visioning is also um, having some kind of a, a feeling or, or notion that it's possible, right? Either I, I believe it's possible because I've seen other people do it, or I believe it's possible because I have a teacher or a coach or somebody who can help me attain that thing. I'm not doing it on my own. You know, having people who are in your circle, um, who support you, who can, who, who are cheering you on, like that, that's all extremely important um, because, you know, we, we don't have to do this on our own. I also totally. feel, you know, cultivating some kind of a spiritual practice is also extremely important. And I'm not talking about religion um, because I don't ascribe to a certain religion, but some kind of a, when I talk about spirituality, I'm, I'm just talking about, you know, connecting to 
something higher than yourself. Right. 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 Connecting to your higher power, your creator, the universe, whatever you want to call it. That was such an important part for me because as somebody who grew up in a very unstable environment um, where, you know, I grew up in, in poverty, I saw bad things happen. Um, so I didn't have a lot of trust in the world. I didn't have a lot of trust that the things that I wanted would turn out. And I had a feeling, I, I felt like I was doing life on my own because I didn't mm -hmm. really have parents that served as guidance for me. But the more that I opened up to a spiritual practice and began to feel and believe that I wasn't alone in this world, that I actually did have support, that just did a, a it just, it starts to calm you down, right? Yeah. The, the anxiety that you feel as you're starting to, you know, trying to pivot and trying to figure things out. It's like, oh yeah, I, I'm not alone in this. It's all going to work out. It really is all going to work out. <laughs> and, you know, and working that muscle, the, the trust muscle it, it is also a part of the process as well, because, you know, cultivating an authentic life, you have to get, you have to start to trust yourself. You have to start to, again, as you, as you turn your, your vision from the external world to your internal landscape. And you start to wake up and activate your own desires and what you want and the kind of life that you want to live and the kind of person that you want to be. You have to also cultivate your trust in yourself that you are going to figure it out, that you are going to be resourceful, that you're not going to let yourself fall, right? That, that you can trust your feelings when something, when your gut tells you to do something, go follow that thing. That when, you know, it's following the breadcrumbs and, and, and a big part is, is it's cultivating that sense of like, you know, I, I got this, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I, I got it. it. It's, it's really okay. And some days are, are easier than others. You know, some days are, are harder to, to really feel that trust. But again, that's when the doubts, fears, and insecurities bubble up. And that's when you roll up the sleeves and you do the work of, of, you know, playing whack-a-mole and, and figuring out, you know, what that's all about so that you can cultivate greater and greater trust that it's all going to work out. And then you take action and then you get data and then you get feedback and then you invite, right. It's, it's an iterative process. Right. Reinvention is not a destination. Reinvention is an iterative process that happens over time. And but I found that if you just keep working these very, very, they're, they're very simple tools, but they're hard to do. Right. What, what I've learned, and maybe this is the most important thing that I've taken away in the last few years, is that I learn the most when I fail, which I know is such a cliche, but I've actually gotten comfortable. And I actually recognize now that failure is that thing that propels me to new places. So when I'm thinking of doing something new or scary, because ultimately fear is always kind of working itself in, what I now tell myself is, well, I'm going to screw a lot of things up along the way. I just know it. It's just going to happen. But that's going to be what allows me to move forward much faster. And so it's, it's almost like a pre-acceptance of failure with a recognition that that's the only thing that's going to allow me to grow. I actually don't believe in failure. Hmm. I, I, because I feel like most things now, 
there are some things that we do in life that are just like, wow, that's that, that was a shit show, right? (laughs) I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I think what most people think of as failure is, oh, I tried this thing and it didn't work out that, you know, the first time. Oh, that was a failure. Therefore that's evidence that I shouldn't be doing this thing. And therefore I'm going to stop and I'm going to go back to what was comfortable and what was familiar. Mm -hmm. I actually don't believe in failure in that sense. What I believe is actually happening is you're on a learning curve toward mastery. And any learning curve, there are going to be attempts. It's an attempt. You're you're trying something new. It's kind of like, I think about it as a recipe. That's the analogy that I like to use, Right. right? If you're not, if you're somebody who, you know, this is my first time making this cake. I have my ingredients, but it's the first time I've ever done it. Is it going to come out perfect the first time? It may, but you know, I might have to make some adjustments. The souffle may fall the first time. I Is that a failure? No. Oh, okay. You go and you do a postmortem and you, okay, what did I do this? Oh, you know what? I forgot the baking powder. Well, let me go back and try this souffle one more time. I'm not going to forget the baking powder this time. And you see how it turns out and you get the information. So for me, failure is just data. It's Mm. just information. What worked? What didn't work? What can I do better next time? So this, this notion of taking action is so incredibly important because that's how you've that's how you get the feedback of what's working, what's not working, and just as importantly, where you are in your process. Because right. if you're taking action and your response to something to a failure is, oh, darn, see, I'm crap, and you start beating yourself up, that's data. The data is, wow, I need to reframe how I engage with failure. I need to re-engage how I, I need to, to reframe how I re-engage with this process of reinvention. Gee, why am I talking to myself like that? That's, that's important information. That's an important part of the process that you can't just, you know, you can't overlook and you can't, you can't just jump over. That's all a part of it. I think the challenge is a lot of people and I would say this is probably true for me most of my life. We, and I don't even know if this is a word, but we uh, catastrophize the situation. Mm. And I remember asking my daughter, I probably have shared this because it was so impactful for me because I asked her a stupid question. I'm like, mm, do I actually live up to this? And she was uh, experiencing something when she was getting ready to go to college a few years ago. And I remember her saying, oh my God, this is like the worst thing that could have happened. And I said to her, Pause and think about your life over the last year. Is there anything that has transpired that requires this much anxiety and angst? Anything. And she paused for a second and she said, I can't think of a thing. Mm. And so that's one of the things that I do now in the moment or I try to do is if something seems bad, I go, am I really going to give a shit about this in a day, a week, a month, (laughs) a year? No, probably not. I probably making, I'm catastrophizing. I'm making it way worse than it is. And so that way that you framed it It's really about using the feedback from things that you can only uh, improve upon to make yourself a better person rather than like, oh my God, my life has fallen apart. And what I would say, once again, is just think about if anything really that bad has happened uh, in the same context that you're thinking about it. 
That's right. That's right. And, and looking at why am I so fearful? Like what's really going on? Is this a learned response? Is this conditioning? Is this, um, a self-esteem issue? Again, going back to self-concept and self-identity, that's a big one. That is a big one. How, what, what are we using to construct our self-concept and our self-identity? Because if it's only, if we're only using success and external validation to construct our self-identity and our self-esteem, then yeah, the, the thought of quote unquote failing can be really, really scary. A lot of this conversation reminds me of my favorite book I've ever read. And it's, it's the book that when people ask me, like, what's the thing that changed you know, the way you think? And it was a book, first of all, it's the worst title ever, but it's called The Last Word on Power. And I loved it on so many different dimensions. But one of the things that it taught me was to use the results as information, good or bad, and mm -hmm. not to ruminate, to use it as information and to determine what the next step is. And I'm not going to go into it, but I'm curious as you've gone on this journey, especially kind of during that five-year period of time, but then also since then, is there a book, an author, a podcast, a movie, something that was profound in your transformation? Mm, so many things. I mean, I am a big believer in studying with people, you know, finding a teacher. There were, I had found several um, spiritual teachers that I, that I worked with, um, and learned some really great principles through them. Um, you know, there were books that I read. There's one book that comes to mind, Learned Optimism by Martin Seligman is a really great book to read. Why did it impact you? You actually can construct your own belief system that, that impacts the way that you engage with the world that that you you can determine whether you are an optimist or a pessimist and that might seem very obvious but let me tell you i've been around some pessimistic people in hmm. my life yep and it not only has it not only impacts um you know who they are how they feel but it it can impact your health it can impact your relationships and even though I, I think I'm a natural optimist, I, I think I'm predisposed to optimism. It was a book that really solidified for me. Oh yeah, there is something to this glass half empty, glass half full thing. And that the more that I can support myself with positive, positive beliefs, positive thoughts, the more that I can fortify myself with the, again, going back to trust, you know, right. trusting that things are going to work out, <laughs> you know, having a growth mindset that really all of that is was extremely important for me as I went through, you know, the last literally it's been 20 years of, of this process of <laughs> I've reinvented myself probably four times in the last 20 years. <laughs> yeah, we're compressing this whole conversation. Like it feels like it was like a couple months and it's like, no, oh, this was a long time. No, 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 that's no. Funny. There have been several versions of myself, but that's another thing of this, this, this idea of self-identity. So if your identity is wrapped up in a job, a relationship, right? I'm only this person 
if I'm at this job making this much money, then you, it's hard to reinvent yourself. But if your self-concept is I'm a human being having a lot of different experiences and I'm just growing and learning and figuring things out. And, and really it's all about, you know, getting to know myself and being a good person and contributing. Well, you can have a lot of versions Absolutely. of that. You can have a lot of iterations of, you know, what life looks like within that. So uh, I think a part of this, and, you know, I have this framework that I call ACP presence model um, that I maybe we can pivot to because I think that model, that framework really kind of encapsulates all the things that we're talking about. And I think, you know, is a, is a really good way to ground everything that we've been talking about. Yeah. That it's funny. That literally is where I was going to pivot. Cause I wanted to ask you what you're doing now. I just want to make one quick comment on that notion of learn optimism, which is I'm going to, I'm going to pick up this book. Uh, because it sounds fascinating. But one of the things that I've observed and love to get your thoughts on this is that the world in many respects is colluding to make us negative. And there's a lot of research that we focus a lot more of our time and energy on negativity. And, you know, when something negative enters our brain, uh, we tend to focus on that a lot more than if something positive comes in. And I do think that there are simple environmental things that you could do because I've done them when I'm like, God, why, why am I thinking so negatively? And the simplest one is um, when I do go on social media and I try to limit it, but when I go on Twitter, for example, I started to find people that I actually respected, but they were super negative. Mm. And I'm like, mm, not going to follow them anymore because it's making me feel like shit. And it's mm -hmm. making me have beliefs that aren't core to who I am as an individual. And so one of the things I would challenge people to do, especially if you find yourself to be somewhat negative and you're like, oh, this whole learned optimism is bullshit, actually change some of the things in your environment. And that could even be somebody that you hang out with. Like we all have that friend is the negative Nelly that's always complaining about everything. Maybe you don't spend as much time with them because it does impact who you are. And once again, I have found that I'm always searching for the negative thing. So I almost need to like, I don't know, hack my way out of it. You're so right. Because what's happening with the negativity is that it's it's plugging right into the amygdala, right? It's plugging right into the fight or flight. And so when we're, you know, around negative people or you're on Twitter or whatever, and suddenly you're, you're, you're you know, you want to, you want to throw your computer across the room <laughs> in, in a fit of rage or whatever, that's a, that's a trauma response. Totally. You know what I mean? And so being aware of, it's so important being aware of your physiology and wow, my, my fists are balled up right now, or wow, I'm just, you know, just like, whoo. I need to, what, what am I doing right now that is caught? Oh, it's the Twitter. Mm, oh, I just talked to this person and now I'm feeling really drained. Oh, I, right. So being aware of the cues in your environment and what your physiology is telling you is, is so incredibly important. I have a funny story and then we're going to talk about what you're doing. Now, my son earlier today, my older son sent me a text with a tweet in it and it was like the news of the day, some negative thing. And I said, he's, He's big into uh, dogs. He loves dogs. He's actually creating a career in dogs. And I said, send me like a happy dog tweet, right? And so he sends this dog that has been trained to help his owner who's got a medical condition go and get medicine if the dog identifies them as having an issue and then go get water. And I'm like, that makes me feel really good. Hopefully it made you feel good, but that's what you need to do. I just saw that. 
I just saw that. Yeah, it's an amazing. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you know, if you need to, if you need to just stream um, kittens for right. a, you know for twenty minutes to change your your state and to change you know your physiology, do that. That's self care, right? That is <laughs> so Michelle, you're doing some incredible stuff now, and I would really encourage everybody to check out Michelle's website. And Michelle, you could give um, references to where they can find it, but also your Twitter page, or not your Twitter, your Instagram. I spent a lot of time on that. Your LinkedIn, you've got some great videos up there. So you're doing some awesome stuff. So I think it's really important because we've talked about this journey and your reinvention and the process that you've gone through. You're now kind of, and I know it's probably a work in progress, but you're on the other side. So can you talk a bit about what you're doing? And I'd love for you to get into the ACP model that you referenced. Yeah, I, I I do feel like I am on the other side. I feel like I spent a lot of time hacking my way through the jungle, you know, and I and I reached the the beach and like, oh, I made it. Um, and it's and it's a beautiful sight. Um, so I do feel like I'm on the other side, and 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 I've been able to parlay my experience um, and all the work I've done on myself and um, you know the research that I've done. I've been able to parlay that into a a really great consulting business um, where I do consulting work and I do executive coaching. And, um, you know, I focus on leadership communication that, that really is, is my purview. I think it's a a great uh, use of my performing background and, and, and all of that, you know, I help um, leaders prepare for high visibility presentations and keynotes and, and, and meetings and, and that kind of thing. But as I've done that over the last five years, I found that a lot of the work that I was doing on myself um, actually translated into the coaching work. And specifically, as I, as I started to, to really deep dive into this idea of presence and what presence was all about, because, you know, as a leadership communication consultant and coach, people would always come to me and say, you know, I really need to work on my presence. You know, my boss told me I need to work on my presence. And, um, but nobody could really define it. Like what is presence, you know? And, and so I felt like I really wanted to, that, I wanted that to be my specialty. I wanted presence to be my specialty. I just had an intuitive feeling that there was something behind this notion of presence that was really interesting to me and that not a lot of people were taking a look at. And so what I began to find is Michelle, can I just make one quick point? What I just want to make sure this when Michelle and I'm just, this is, I'm just trying to set this up. What Michelle is about to share is so goddamn powerful. And so if you are listening, because there are a lot of people out there that are not really good presenters or are scared or want to show up differently, this model, although it's fairly simple is unbelievably powerful. So you're out on a walk or you're at home or you're working out focus. And I think you even have some content on your website, but this is unbelievably powerful. So sorry for that. I just wanted to make sure that people really recognize this isn't just part of the fun conversation. Like this is content that they could use immediately. Oh, thanks, Mike. I I appreciate that. Yeah. Let's pull back a little bit. Okay. So when people think about communication or when they think about influence, 
you know, I, I need to stand up and present this talk, or I need to talk at this meeting and influence people to do something, right? I want them to start doing something or continue doing something or do something that they, you know, that they maybe otherwise wouldn't do on their own. I think most people, their minds go to presentation skills, right? Right. We think about presentation skills. And I think a lot of people in the corporate environment have done some kind of community, you know, communication training that was presentation skills. Here's how you stand. Here's how you talk, you know, put some more, um, uh, put some more spaces in there, take out the ums, you know, move your hands this way. Now there's nothing wrong. Here's how you spin a story. Here, yeah. The, the oh, messaging yeah. Yeah. it's, it's right. messaging and delivery, right? That's what I think of as presentation skills. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I'm not knocking that. That's, you know, a lot of the work that I do, but presentation skills and presence are two different things. Mm. Presentation skills is what you see on the outside. Presence is a reflection of what's going on on the inside. When you see somebody who they just have a powerful presence, they just, wow, they walk into the room and you just go, who is that person? The way that they stand, the way that they hold themselves, they don't even have to speak. You just go, who, who is, wow. You just can tell that there's something about that person that is interesting, that is powerful, that is authoritative, that is, right? All of those adjectives. That's a reflection of what's going on on the inside. Mm. Maybe they had some presentation skills training, sure, but it's much more a reflection of their beliefs about themselves. And that is what I wanted to really focus on. I came to the understanding through my work with myself and with my clients that presence is a reflection of your sense of personal power. Personal power. Personal power is not social power. It's not your title. It's not what's going on on the outside. It's not external to you. And we've been toggling back and forth throughout this conversation between external and internal, right? And, yep. and the need to kind of turn your gaze from the external to the internal. Um, and so your, your sense of personal power is what, what drives powerful presence. If you want to create powerful presence, then you need to increase your sense of personal power. That sounds great, Michelle. How do you do what that? What does that mean? Exactly. <laughs> but I think you're getting at, and, and I know you're about to probably go through the ACP model, but the reason why I think this is so important for everybody listening is 99.9%. .9%, and maybe the only time I didn't experience this was when I actually worked with you when I was at Deloitte, but most is focused on how do you stand? What are the words you say? Like we were saying, what is the story you're going to share? The story arc, blah, blah, blah. That's what we all learn in corporate America. But I think what you're getting at about to get at is so much more powerful because if you don't have the presence, the likelihood of really delivering an impactful presentation is super low. Yeah, I think I think people can feel when you're just polish and pizzazz as opposed to like a real three-dimensional human being that has opinions and a point of view and experience, lived experience, right? And I found that a lot of the issues that people had in their presentation skills was being driven by their beliefs about themselves. It was being driven by doubt, fear, and insecurity. 
you know, you have somebody who, you know, they, they have a, maybe they have a fear of public speaking. A lot of people have a fear of public speaking, but when you talk to them about it, what you start hearing is, I'm not very interesting. I'm really insecure about my, my looks. Um, you know, I, I, I just don't feel like people are going to want to hear what I have to say. Now that's, that's not, that has nothing to do with your message. No amount of fixing your message, you know, it, it may make you feel a little more confident, but that's much more about what's going on on the inside than what's happening on the outside. And so as I started to do this work and really focus on the presence piece, you know, and I would get clients and yeah, I, I want to work on my presentation skills and I go, okay, we'll, we'll get there, but let, let, tell me about you on a scale of one to five, how confident do you feel? How authentic do you feel? How much do you feel you know yourself? Oh, now that's the real conversation, right? right. So then we'd create this foundation of building up their... So ACP, ACP stands for Authenticity, Confidence, and Purpose. I, throughout my research, I really came to believe that these core principles or even practices, because they really are practices... These practices are the building blocks of personal power. Why? Because when you feel authentic, when you know who you are, when you believe in yourself, when you have a sense of purpose, that is empowering. Those are empowering beliefs and empowering practices. And when you don't feel authentic, when you don't like yourself, when you don't feel confident, when you don't feel purposeful, those are disempowering. And you can see it in the way people stand and the way they talk and the way they present. You can see all of those beliefs manifesting in the behavior. And so I did a lot of research and, you know, went back to the psychological, you know, research and the articles about, around authenticity, confidence, and purpose. And luckily there is a lot out there. And the more I researched authenticity, the more confidence came into it. And the more I researched mm. purpose, the more authenticity came. So they, while I'm talking about these things as separate, they actually interrelate and support each other. And so my whole thesis around this framework is if you cultivate the building blocks of personal power, which are authenticity, confidence, and purpose, then you will naturally begin to express more presence on the outside. So that's what ACP is really all about. I love it. Let me ask you a question. I know a lot of people that are successful that I would say are not authentic at all. So my question is, what do you think holds people back from being authentic? And the reason why I'm asking this is I gravitate. So even though I just said some of these people are successful, I don't gravitate to them. I gravitate to people that feel like they're a real human being that I feel like I know them and maybe then they show some vulnerability, I gravitate to that. I actually, quite frankly, think most people do. But in the business world, people are so safe, especially in the world that I lived in. What do you think holds people back from being truly authentic? Doubt, fear, and insecurity. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, Mike, I've already told you this if you're just listening. Doubt, fear, really, I mean, it really comes down to that, right? So for, so my definition of authenticity, and there's, a, you know, there's tons of research out there and, you know, people have different frameworks and lists of what, you know, criteria of authenticity. But for me, I, it boils down to two things. Authenticity is the degree to which you know yourself and show yourself. You need 
both of those to be present, to be authentic. Knowing yourself is really all about your self-awareness. How well do you know yourself? How well do you know your, do you have access to your thoughts and your feelings? And we talked about that during this conversation, you know, your, your personality. I think your personality, when people think about, when I ask them, who are you? They, they start to talk more about their personality, their preferences. I like hot dogs. I like this kind of music. Yeah. I like these kinds of movies. Right. And that's important. But the thoughts and feelings, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Like your true emotions. What do you really feel about this? What is your, What are your feelings throughout the day? Can you track your emotional experience throughout the day? Can you label your emotions? Like that's, that's a big part of authenticity. And then of course, your lived experience. So I have three levels of, of authenticity, your thoughts and feelings, your internal state, your, your personality, and your lived experience. And your lived experience is a big one as well, right? Because so many of us, we feel like we've had to run from our experience or painful experiences. Um, we haven't fully integrated our lived experience into who we are so that we're not living in a place of shame around our lived experience, but we're, we're living in a place of not only acceptance, but we love, you know, we love our journeys. And so the more that you can engage with that kind of a process of, of fully integrating, appreciating, acknowledging, and dare I say, even loving yourself, not in a narcissistic way, right. not in a self-centered way, but in a just, you know, I love myself like I would love my kids or my pets or my spouse or my parents. I love who I am. Um, that is where true authenticity shines. And there's research that shows that there's a relationship between authenticity and self-esteem. Those are two separate things. So authenticity is knowing yourself, how, how self-aware are you, but self-esteem is what do you feel about yourself? And research shows that the more authentic people are in their relationships, the higher their self-esteem. So again, authenticity is knowing yourself, but it's also the showing yourself. Authenticity has to be has to be practiced and exercised in your relationships. You can't be authentic alone in a room by yourself. <laughs> That's not being authentic, you, right? You, you, you get to know yourself, all the work that we talked about throughout this, this conversation, right? You get to know yourself, you do that heavy lifting and you get in there and you get messy and right. But then once you know who you are, then you got to show who you are. You talked about vulnerability, right? And, and revealing your true self to people. What do you think? What do you feel? What is your lived experience? Connecting with people in an authentic way. So you, you say, you know, what keeps people from being authentic? Well, I think a lot of us have experienced instances where we shared our authentic self with people and we were rejected or we were bullied or our experience and who we were was invalidated. And so we got the message really early on that who we are, is, there's something wrong with it. I call them, there's something wrong with me beliefs, right? It's shame beliefs. There's something wrong with the way I look. There's something wrong with the way I talk. There's something wrong with the school that I went to. There's something wrong about, you know, the, the way I engage with people, the way I connect with people. It's those, there's something wrong with me beliefs that keeps people from being authentic. The one thing I would say on that though is, which I agree with you totally, but what I found is the more that I show up authentically, and I probably do this to a fault, 
the more relationships I've built and people come out of the woodwork and are comfortable sharing their story, which to me is super exciting. And so while yes, probably I would say 10% of the time, you know, maybe people criticize me for it. The 90% is beautiful. So if anybody's listening to this, at least my sample size of just me is that I find that the majority are positive experiences when I show up authentically. I totally agree because we, we appreciate authenticity when we see it, because I think we intuitively understand how hard it is to be authentic. And so when we, we see somebody who's being authentic and being themselves and keeping it real, we're just like, yeah, that's right. You're cool. Right. (laughs) And, and there's this, and there's this sense that, um, you know, I, I, I'm not being, um, this person isn't trying to hide. You know, they're not hiding behind a mask. They're not hiding behind a persona. They're really showing me who they really are. And I trust that. So I think authenticity builds trust in relationships because people can sense when you're being the true person versus, you know, being, you know, the person that you think people want to see. So, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to pivot. I was going to ask you about confidence. I'm curious, is competence a requirement for confidence in your mind? No, they are two separate things Mm. because you can be competent and not feel confident. You can be competent and not feel confident. It happens all the time. can Can you be confident and not confident? Yes. Or, excuse me, confident and not confident. It's almost Absolutely. like a fake until you make it. Well, <laughs> well tell me the secret sauce. <laughs> <laughs> well, so confidence is, and we come back to the word belief. Confidence is about your belief. Mm. So you can be overconfident and you can be underconfident, right? And we've seen a lot of people who are overconfident relative right. to their actual competence, right? <laughs> we've seen a lot of examples of that where you're like- Washington, D.C., anybody? <laughs> is that what you're alluding to? Yeah. You're actually really mediocre, but man, your confidence is off the right. charts, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And so, so for confidence, that it turns out the research shows that there are four types of experiences that we use to build our confidence. The first type of experience is our past experiences with mastery or success, right? And and so this is, I think, what you were touching on, like, okay. If I'm trying something new, I don't have that past experience that tells me that I'm going to be good at it. So therefore, I probably won't feel as confident. Or, you know, as you talked about before, I tried it, but I failed or I didn't get the result that I wanted. Therefore, I don't feel confident doing something. So that often happens. And in those kinds of instances, um, you have to rely on other skills, other resources to fill in the gap of your experience for you to feel confident. Um, I, I, I talk about analogous successes. So, you know, I'm doing this podcast. Well, I haven't done a lot of podcasts, Mike. And so I could not feel confident. I could freak out and have a lot of anxiety because, oh my God, I'm doing this podcast and am I going to be good, but I've never done a podcast, right? But I, I've done interviews before. I've talked to people before. I've had conversations before that were successful. Can I can I use that analogous experience 
and put it in, you know, and, and bring it into this new experience or task that I'm trying to accomplish. And, and your brain will go, oh yeah. So it's kind of like when I did this, well, I've done that before and that worked out okay. So I can probably do that, right? So it, you've got to find, or you you fill out your competence. If you don't have competence at a particular task or doing something, well, that's where your strengths, your inherent strengths can come in and save the day. You know, so if I'm, if I'm doing a, you know, a, a, a podcast for the first time and I'm really just focused on, oh, well, I've never done a podcast, but yeah, but you know what? I'm actually, I'm actually really interesting to talk to and I listen really well and I have a lot of compassion. I have a lot of interesting stories and you know, I, I, I have a good sense, sense of humor. You know, these are now inherent strengths and skills and talents that also add value to the experience of doing a podcast, right? And we can do the same thing in our, in our jobs. I may not have done, you know, X, Y, Z, but what kind of psychological, emotional, lived experience, what, kind, what other types of strengths and resources can I bring into this experience that can give me a greater sense of confidence? Now you're talking about overall general self-confidence as opposed to confidence at a particular task or an activity. And I think that that is really, that's, that's a big part of the process as we, you know, because it's easy to have confidence in our comfort zone, right? It's easy to have confidence within your sphere of comfort or experience or familiarity. But once you start to step outside that familiarity, that's usually when our confidence starts to falter and we have to fill that gap, not with just fake it till you make it. But with other things that you really can hang your hat on that will help you to be successful and effective at the thing that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, as we were talking about this, I wrote down, I wonder if there's some foundational basics, meaning there's things that are transferable to any different situations. And it could be things like communication, how you engage with somebody, a way of framing up an issue, like just because maybe you're not adept at maybe the topic you're talking about. Maybe you've been very adept at figuring out kind of what is a core challenge? What are some possibilities? What are some solutions? And I guess I've not given this any thought, but my guess is that there's probably some foundational basics that you could draw upon so that you can build this confidence through the analogous situation. Absolutely. And that's why I think it's so important. Some, a lot of the work that I do with my clients is what are your strengths? What are you good at? A lot of t- we sometimes we don't we don't spend the time really looking at that because I think there's also this thing around humility that I think limits a lot of us. Uh, you know what I mean? Well, I don't want to toot my own horn, or I don't want to say it, how great I am because I don't want to be seen as having an ego or whatever. And so we don't even just spend the time of like, what am I good at? What am I- I'm really good at? You know, making people feel comfortable. I'm really good at. Uh, providing insight. I'm really good at connecting the dots. No, that's a strength of mine. I need to celebrate that. I need to praise that. And so that when I'm going into certain situations where maybe my competence is a little shaky at that particular thing, I know that I'm still adding value to the room. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like I'm at a place now in my life 
not to toot my own horn. But (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like I'm at a place in my life where... Yes, I have competencies, I have capabilities, I have areas of expertise, but I also really um, give a lot of weight to who I am as an individual. I give a lot of weight to my lived experience. I live, give a lot of weight to my inherent strengths. And, I, and that's where the authenticity comes in, right? So authenticity and confidence actually play together. And actually there's, there is research that shows that engaging in activities that um, are self-affirming before a high stakes engagement, a self-affirming activity could be journaling about something that's important to you, Mm -hmm. reminding yourself about your values, thinking about a time when you were living out your values, thinking about people that are important to you, like those kinds of thinking about your your own personal narrative and, and, and how you want to contribute to the world. That's a self-affirming activity. Doing that before a high stakes in, engagement or an activity lowers your anxiety and boosts your confidence. Why? Because your authenticity gives you perspective. You're expanding, again, going back to this idea of self-identity, you're going. You're expanding your self identity and your self concept beyond my performance in this particular activity or engagement or event. How I do in this particular activity does not define who I am. I am defined by all these other great things, right? So this is just an opportunity for me to, you know, add value or do this thing or practice this thing. So, yeah, authenticity. Like I said before, they all support each other. And then, and then there's also the purpose piece, right? Having a sense of purpose in what you do. And I know sometimes we, <laughs> I like to say, we feel purpose shamed, you know, like because purpose is such a big thing now. It's like, live your purpose, live a life of purpose, find your purpose. And it's like, hold on. I don't even know what, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what my purpose is. I'm just trying to pay the bills. I'm just trying to get through the day. Um, it can be a little intimidating and overwhelming to think of purpose. But the good news is that, you can create purpose for yourself if you really think about, um, you know, what it, what is it that I want to contribute in this situation? What so what? He, go ahead. I was just going to say. So here in your story, let's make it real. What yep. is your purpose now? My purpose now is helping people to move beyond the limitations that they have created for themselves, and see themselves in a much bigger, more expanded, more fulfilling, more accurate light. That is, that's really my purpose. And I do that in a number of ways. I do that in my coaching. I do that in the content that I create. I do that in my consulting work. But really, that's all just an excuse to really help people to move beyond the limitations that they've placed on themselves and see themselves more accurately. That's my purpose. Yeah. See, I, I, I love, well, first of all, it makes it super real. And I think it's very apparent because that's been this whole entire conversation. We've heard how you've gotten there, but, but there are a lot of people that will be like, Oh my God, purpose. You know, it's so overwrought. It's swarmy, blah, blah, blah. You know, you hear all of this stuff nowadays, yeah. but it's like hearing yours is important because it literally is the foundation for everything that you're doing. Yes. And I do think going on a journey and if you can't answer what is what is it that I am doing on this planet? 
you got to do some hard work because it then allows a lot of these challenging decisions that you need to make, like leaving a job or taking off a few years or going deep on something. It makes it much easier to figure it out. Absolutely. And your purpose arises from your authentic self. (laughs) So it all comes back to authenticity. But, you know, you can arrive at a larger purpose. I didn't just start out with this purpose, right? Right. It, it, It evolved over time. And so this notion of creating purpose situational purpose, I think is really important for people to latch onto. So as you're going throughout your day, you can create purpose for yourself throughout your day. So one of the examples that I give is, you know, instead of going to the grocery store, you create purpose by framing that situation as I am buying healthy and delicious food for Mm, me and my family. right, Right. Right. Instead of going on vacation I am creating memorable experiences and connecting more deeply with my family. That's purpose. Now you've just elevated from just a task, something that you're doing to no, this is an experience that I'm creating. And that's what really, that's what purpose is really all about. So you can create situational purpose. And I guarantee you that as you start to live more intentionally and more authentically, that the, the breadcrumbs will start to lead you to a larger purpose. And then you'll, you'll wake up one day and go, oh, this is where it was leading me all along. I, I, I get it now. You know, I, I get that this life that I'm living is a result of my joy. It's a result of my passion. It's a result of my, my inherent gifts and my skills and my talents now I'm, I, I'm here. And so when you said before, you know, you've arrived, yeah. I, I, I really feel that way, but it's, it, you know, it's been work. I've done the work. It's been work. Well, and you're, you're still doing the work. I am still doing the work. Yeah. I will be doing the work until I draw my last breath because I firmly, <laughs> my belief, my philosophy is that this is what life is really all about. Absolutely. I, I think if you're still listening, because I think, Michelle, I told you like, ah, this will be like an hour, and I think we're almost like at 90 minutes. But I think what this shows is, first of all, how incredible your story is, the process of going through the transformation, and then how much rich content that you have and how you're helping people. And so once again, and if you're listening, go out and look at everything that Michelle has. You've got a lot of great free content as well. There's so much learning that you're providing the world, which is, which is incredible. Um, but I do want to draw this up and maybe at some point in time, because I literally probably asked a third of the questions. I always do that. I just have too many damn questions, but whatever. That's the way it goes. On a scale of one through 10, how would you rate your life right now? Oh my gosh. On a scale of one to 10, I'm at a 10. I mean, I'm in, I'm, I'm so happy and content and fulfilled, I, I, I pinch myself (laughs) every morning. I just go, I can't believe I created this life for myself. But you know, it really is. I was just talking to somebody the other day. Um, she, she asked me, you know, what's your hobby? Like, what do you like to do when you're not working? And I was like, I, I look at my life as a hobby. Interesting. I, I treat my life as a creative process. You know, it's like, oh, I want to create this kind of career and I want to have these kinds of friends and I want to have this kind of relationship and I want to do this kind of thing and I want to look like this. It's all creative. And maybe this is a part of 
um, you know, being an actor and being a creative, but I really do approach life as a creative art form. Yeah, you said something. I wrote it down. And once again, it's, it's, it's pretty simplistic, but it's something that a lot of people don't do is you said, I created this life. And I think what's so important for me is a lot of times people just think, oh, you know what? Somebody was lucky or they fell into it or she was an actress. So look at her life and how great it is now. It must have been easy for her. But you have essentially taken us on a 20-year journey where you reinvented your life. And I think what's important is it is hard work. And the reason why I asked the question of where is your life now on a scale of one through 10, it's to show everybody that's listening that if you put the hard work in, if you're purposeful, if you get to what really matters, you can create this life that when you look back, you're like, I can't believe that I'm here. But it did take a lot of work. It took a lot of work. And the reason why I'm at a 10 on a scale of one to 10 is it's because it's an authentic life. Ah, full circle, Michelle. <laughs> So Michelle, I want to just last, oh, look at that. My, uh, my watch Siri just came on. Um, but I want to end it with my favorite question, which we talked about the name of the podcast earlier, time to sing your song. But I, I do believe everybody has a song inside of them. And I feel as I hear your story, especially now that you're living this life um, of a 10, that there is a song that probably brings to life the journey that you've been on. The journey that started off on Friends, which I think is so cool, by the way, but then ultimately has gotten you to this life that you're living authentically on your own. So what's the song that comes to mind? <laughs> that is such an awesome question, Mike. Um, you know, it's interesting. We Are the Champions by Queen comes mm. to mind. There's something about the lyrics of that song, you know, I, I consider it a challenge before the whole human race tonight, and I ain't gonna lose. You know, we are the champions, my friends, and we'll keep on fighting till the end. There's something about that, the resilience right. that I think that song really describes and, ca and captures. I think that that's my life because I am a fighter. Um, and yeah, there's no going back for me. And once I, I put set my mind on something, it's going to happen. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I'm going to stick with that. We are the champions by Queen. I think you just influenced me or inspired me is a better way of saying it to go see the Queen cover band that is coming to Austin, <laughs> Texas in the next few months. Uh, incredible band. And I oftentimes find sometimes the cover bands are better than the real bands because, you know, <laughs> they're young and vital and, and uh, you know sound pretty damn good. So Michelle, <laughs> once again, this was a marathon. I appreciate you sticking in. I swear to God, we may have to have you back on because there are so many other things that I wanted to talk to you about. But I, I do believe you are living an incredible life because of all the work that you put in. And if, if I'm out there, she is a perfect example of somebody that from outward appearances looked like she had the perfect life, but she had that intuitive feeling where she said, nah, it's not enough. There's something more for me. And it wasn't overnight. It was like you put the work in. And actually, the work that you put in is now who you are and how you consult and how you work with your clients. And it just is amazing to watch somebody singing their song after doing 
all of the work that you did. So thank you for inspiring me. Thank you for sharing your story. I think there's so many nuggets that, you know, there's the 75% of people that are out there that are like not really committed to their jobs that aren't really loving uh, what they're doing. And hopefully you've inspired, I'm sure you probably have a few people to go and live their authentic life. So Michelle, thank you. Oh, thank you, Mike. Thank you so much for having me on and giving me the opportunity to share my story. I really appreciate it. Well, that was a lot of fun. I am definitely going to have to have Michelle back in the near future. So many lessons to take from her story, as well as helpful guidance in charting a more intentional life. If you like my conversation with Michelle, go to past episodes to hear other amazing stories of people who were once lost or broken, and now are singing their song. Big thank you to everyone who listens to Time to Sing Your Song and being part of this community that I am building. My goal is to help everyday people like you and me use the hard times as a catalyst to create a life we were all meant to live. Until next time, start singing your song today because as the anonymous quote goes, when tomorrow comes, this day will be gone forever. In its place is something that you have left behind. Let it something good.